Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. When we move to, towards praying and towards this discipline of prayer, and the first one is that we will respond sometimes out of neglect. We will feel that we haven't prayed in a long time, and we'll hear a sermon on prayer, and we're like, yeah, you know what, I should do that. I've been neglecting that. I should do that. And we do this thing that Shannon does, says all the time, and that we, we should on ourselves, right? And that's kind of the worst place to live from, from this place of religious obligation. The second place that we kind of come from is that we come from a place of respect. We see God as the Almighty God and Almighty Father, and we realize, you know what? God deserves me to come and pray to Him, and so I'm going to come and I'm going to pray out of respect to Him. And we do it again out of religious obligation. But then there's a third way of entering into prayer. And that third way of entering into prayer is from a place of connection, from a place of relationship where we hear the Father calling out to us our name, saying, I want to be with you. I want to know you. And I want you to know me. And I want to spend time together growing in relationship where we want to connect. And so that's our hope. That's our hope is that when we come to prayer and when we do the, this prayer and we enter into the Father's prayer that is given to us in Matthew 6, that we would enter into it from a place of connection. That we would not enter it from a place of should or a place of religious obligation, but that we would connect with the Father where we are vulnerable and we're intimately known and He is known by us and we grow in relationship together. The, this Lord's Prayer um, has six parts to it. And Shannon's kicked off the series by referencing um, what he believes to be the greatest movie of all time, uh, The Princess Bride. He looks at me in shock. <laughs> um, but in The Princess Bride, there is the six-fingered man. And so what I want us to do is to put our hands together like this. Now, I don't know if I've communicated this, but Princess Bride is not my favorite movie. <laughs> I've watched it once. It's, Rebecca, it's one of Rebecca's favorite movies, but unfortunately, it's not one of my favorite movies. But... In this movie, there's the six-fingered man. And I think the six-fingered man is incredibly helpful for remembering the Lord's Prayer and the prayer that the Lord is praying over us. So I want us to do it. It's corny. It's fun. It fits in with the Princess Bride completely. Okay? So yes, do it. Get your fingers up. Yes. So we have six parts of this prayer. The first one is the Father's heart for us. The Father's heart for us. The second one is that the Father has prayers for his kingdom to come on earth and to rule and reign among us. The third one is the Father's provision. The fourth one is the Father's forgiveness, that you are forgiven. The fifth one is the Father's guidance, that the Father wants to guide us and lead us. And the sixth one here is that the Father wants to deliver us, that he wants to rescue us. And he wants to save us. So we've been in this series for two weeks now. We've looked at the Father's heart. And last week we looked at the Father's kingdom. And when we looked at the Father's kingdom, we saw that we were a people who are loved by God. And we are called and we are sent to out into the world to love the world because we are loved ones. That the world will encounter the love of Jesus, the love of our God, through us going and loving other people. We prayed this prayer that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would be heaven bringers to the world. That heaven would break forth into our world, into our life right now. And we would go out and we would share that with others. 
And this morning, we're going to continue actually in that form of prayer. We're going to continue in the section of prayer before we move on to provision next week. We're going to stay in this place of, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Today, we partner with thousands of churches and believers around the world and declare that life is sacred, that life from womb to tomb is held in value and in deep sacredness. And what we need to do is we need to pray this prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven around the sacredness of life because it's only in heaven that all life is deemed sacred and value and that is full of dignity and purpose. We have to pray this prayer because it, it is not fully yet realized here among us. Before we get further, I want to kind of make two things really clear to us this morning. And the first one is that I'm not here this morning to give any type of political speech. Thank God, right? The second thing is, is that if abortion, if homicide, if attempted suicide is a part of your story, I want you to know that there's no condemnation here this morning. That there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus that there is no shame, that this is not the Sunday that you come to where we shame you, but it's the Sunday that hopefully you can come and you can experience the freedom of Jesus in your life, that if you're living in shame, if you're living in condemnation, if you're living in guilt, that Jesus would remove that. And I want you to know that we are here this morning standing with you in that love, in that grace, where there is no shame, where there is no condemnation, and we want to hug you, we want to pray with you, we want to be with you, we want to minister with you. Like I said this morning, it's good to be among friends. Amen? You're among friends this morning. And I want you to know that there's freedom here for you this morning. And so we have to pray. We have to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because heaven has not yet fully been realized here on earth. But as we talk about the kingdom of heaven, there's this awkward tension that the kingdom of God has come, and it is fully here, and it is fully true. And that's why we can declare that all life from womb to tomb has purpose, value, and meaning, but yet it's not fully realized in the world that we live in. In our world today, we decide who lives and who dies. In our world today, the leading cause of death, the number one cause of death around the world is abortion. Over 50 million souls were wiped away from the earth this year through abortion. In our world, we use our power to enslave and rule one another. We just finished the December campaign where we raised a couple million dollars with people around the world where women wore dresses and men wore ties. And we raised awareness around slavery and our human oppression around the world to the 40 million slaves that are still in bondage today. There are also millions more who are forced to live in conditions that are completely unsafe, completely inhumane, but yet for some reason are not included in that 40 million we use our power to rule and oppress others on earth. We also just go about life and society judging each other on what value we have. We have this thing in society, we have this saying that says, you need to be a productive member of society. And we kind of create a metric to decide 
what that means and if, and, if you're, and if you are a productive member of society. So we make people take tests. We make people uh, pass all different types of certifications. And we make people produce all different types of things, all into a place to where someday somebody somewhere can say, you know what, you're certified, you're worth it, you're approved, you're good to go, you have value now. And if you don't have those things, then your value is gone and it's taken away. I mean, there's a, a problem when we have departments in our businesses and in our organizations that's called human resources, right? Where we become human doings instead of human beings. And what I think is greater than all of those things, for, and those things are horrific. The thing that's most horrific, I believe, is that at the end of the day, you and I, don't know our value. You and I don't know the sanctity that is our own lives. That you and I have bought into the lie that we have to produce, that we have to earn, that we have to strive, and that other people determine our worth and our value in this world. And what we do is we go through this life just seeking acceptance yearning for in any way that we can. And so as we go out through our lives seeking acceptance, looking for it any way we can, what ends up happening is that we often make choices and decisions that often degrade and devalue and steal away the human dignity and the human purpose and sanctity of our own lives and the lives that are around us. When I look at this world I, and I look at humanity, what I see is that we have a difficult time living into the reality that life is sacred, beginning with our own life. Beginning with our own life. And we see this. We see this in the unhealthy, uh, the unhealthy choices that we make. Like we see it in the food that we eat and the way that we consume food. We don't see ourselves as sacred with some of the food we consume. We see it with the healthy relationships that we remain present to, maybe even some of the unhealthy relationships that we feed into. We stay there in that place. We don't see our sanctity through the clothes that we wear, through the language that we use to speak to one another as we're in relationship with one another. We also don't see the sanctity of life when you're on the belt line in a snowstorm and bumper-to-bumper traffic and you're texting on your cell phone. Okay? We text and we drive and we don't realize the sanctity of our very lives because we've got to send out a text message. We've got to communicate. We've got to let someone know. And what we miss is that your life is valuable and it is precious. And it took your mother nine months for you to come through gestation and be born, all right? When I think about life and I think about the value of life, I think about how long it takes for a life to come into this world and to grow and to develop and just how quickly life can be taken away. I think we're in a place where we advocate actively and rightfully and righteously for the sanctity of life for others in the world. And that's what Sanctity of Life Sunday is about ultimately, right? It's about, act, it's about advocating for life for others around the world. But in doing so, we often miss that we ourselves and our lives are also sacred. That we have forgotten our true identity. And ultimately, I think 
unfortunately, what we've settled with is that we've settled with this idea that someday I just want to be able to die with a little bit of dignity. I just want to be able to die with a little bit of dignity. I think that's our goal. We're like, if I can do that, then I've lived a sacred life, fulfilled life, if we can just do that. Now, when I was in college, one of my favorite TV shows was called House MD. I don't know, any, any House fans in the crowd? Anyone watch House? Okay, so House is this brilliant doctor, and he's also this, like, militant atheist. But he's this brilliant doctor who also just confronts patients and, and patients who are sick and that they don't know what the cure is. And so he's guessing and trying to figure out what the cure is. And, and many times throughout the show, what would happen is that a patient would get so tired of living, they would get so tired of suffering and of trying, that they would turn to House and they would just say, House, let me go home so I can die with a little bit of dignity. And what House would do is he would turn to them and he would look them in the face and he would say, there is no dignity in death. He says, death is brutal. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or if you're never born, death is always ugly. He says, you can live with dignity, but you can never die with it. I think House has nailed it. Because if we're going to talk about the importance of life, I also think we have to talk about the brutality of death. Because death is the mortal foe that is life. And the reality is is that a lot of times we look at death and we say, you know what, it's just the natural thing of life. It's just the circle of life. But every funeral I've ever been present to, every death that I've ever been present to, my soul screams out that this is unnatural. That death is one of the most unnatural things that we could ever experience. That you and I were never created for or intended for death. But it is in our sin that you and I will eventually succumb to death. And when we die, there will be no dignity. I mean, we can just look to Jesus, the holiest man in the world. The man who is God himself. He comes to this earth and he doesn't need to die. He's not worthy of death. But yet he humbles himself to the point of death. And he is stripped naked. He is beaten. He is spit upon. He is cursed. He is viewed as cursed. And we nail him publicly naked to a tree for him to suffocate. And it is ugly. It's soul crushing. It's devastating. It is the brutal and barbaric defeat of life. And the thing is, it's like if that story were to end there, if that story were to end there with Jesus' death, where he's wrapped up and he's put into a tomb and he's just sat there, there would be no dignity in life either. There would be no hope. There'd be no joy. There'd be no purpose. There'd be no value. What we'd be left with is that we would have to create those things on our own. And you know how we would create them? We would pull together circles of power who would then begin to decide who lived and who died. We would, with those circles of power, begin to oppress people and put them into slavery so that they could serve us free of charge 
What we would do with that power is that we would begin to make tests and metrics and set quotas and production values to say you matter or you don't by the quantity that you're able to produce in our world. You see, we live in a place where the kingdom of God must come breaking forth. We are in desperate need. Oh God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The beautiful thing is that the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just Jesus dead on a cross and in a tomb. But three days later, after death has had its day, life and flourishing come breaking forth, and that is what lasts forever. Amen? Jesus conquers death, and he breaks out of the tomb, and, he li- and he's living life in the fullness of human form. Jesus, he's not this angel. He's not the spiritual being. He is the resurrected Christ, and he has a body. And he goes up to Thomas, and he's like, look at my hands. Touch them. Look at my side. Touch it. Give me something to eat. I'm hungry. Jesus values life, and we see the value that God has in life through the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Paul is thinking through the promise of the resurrection and the joy of the resurrection. And he cries out, he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And every funeral that I attend, whether it's public or whether it's private to myself, I pray this prayer of victory over the one who has died. Because it's in that place where we look at death now, where the kingdom of God is not fully yet here. We must live into this place of, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Especially where the sting of death is felt the most. And so we lean into it with this prayer that is true and that the kingdom of God is coming, and that the promise of the resurrection through Jesus is true, and one day we will all be resurrected and we will be with a bunch of friends. Amen. We will be with a bunch of friends. Life matters so much to God that he gave himself over to death so that we would no longer have to. He gave himself over to death so that we would not have to continue to take lives from other people so that we could find it ourselves. He's also come to give us life so that we would no longer have to give ourselves to other people in hopes that they would turn around and give us the life that we've always wanted. He's also come to give us life so that we wouldn't have to decide who lives and who dies anymore, but that we could live a life full of flourishing. The truth is, is that God has created purpose and value in life from the beginning of creation. In the beginning of Genesis, on the sixth day of creation, God gets together with himself and he says, let us make man in our own image. And so he gets down to the earth that he's created and he starts stirring up some dust and he starts to form it into an image, an image that reflects him. And he looks at it and he says, this is pretty good, but it's still just dust. And so he comes down and he he puts his mouth against ours and he breathes his life into our lungs And we come to life. And then he looks at it and he says, this is very good. This is very good. You and I, we have the identity of God imprinted on our lives. And we get to share that with each other 
and the world in community. And it's true in everyone in this world, whether the powers that be recognize it or not. Amen. Because Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King. And if there were a political speech that I was given this morning, it would be that Jesus is King and that he is Lord. And that what he says is what matters. And what I want you to know is that you matter and he has imprinted his image upon you. When I was in college, I had a really good friend that could look through kind of the walls that I had built for myself. I don't know if you walk around with walls and protections and, you know, you have a public self and you have a private self and, you know, you operate mostly in the public self, but there's this inner self that you've let very few people see. Well, the thing is that this guy, whether I wanted him to see it or not, he could look through my walls. It was like he had x-ray vision. And so one day he just called me on my identity. He's like, where are you getting your purpose and your value? He asked me, he's like, if tomorrow you're in an accident where your mental capacities were taken away from you, where your physical capacities were taken away from you, where you were just bound to a wheelchair, you couldn't communicate, and everyone had to serve you, would your life still have purpose, value, and meaning? And that got me. Because I had been building my life and my identity around how I could think, how I could talk, how I could have relationships, how I could do, 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 and perform. And when he asked that question, I just wanted, I wanted to say yes because I knew it was the right answer, right? That's who I am. I have the right answer. I'm the right answer guy. But I couldn't. And I just wept. And I just wept because I realized in that moment that I had believed the lie. That my worth and my value and my sanctity, I thought, came from what I could produce, perform, and prove in others. And if I'm going to be honest with you, church, it's still a lie that I am recovering from yet today. It is by God's grace that he's revealing to me my own purpose, my own value, my own sanctity that doesn't come from myself, doesn't come from what I'm able to produce or perform, but comes from him who's created me and the image of his son. The thing is, is that this is how the world views life today. The world views life that you have to perform, that you have to produce, and that you have to add value. And that if you're going to be a person who's going to take from the world where we have to serve you, it's not worth having you around. With great medical advances, we've been able to do prenatal testing, and we've been able to tell if a child is going to be born with Down syndrome or not. And the reality is that with this technology and with this foreknowledge, 67% of parents have decided that it is better to abort that child than to bring that child into life. Because that child's going to require services. That child's going to take more than it's ever going to give. That child, in the eyes of the world, does not have value, purpose, meaning in life. But I don't know about you, but I've spent some time around some, down, some people with Down syndrome. And they're some of the happiest, joy-filled, life-giving people. And whenever you're around them, you can't help but think of the sanctity of life and how this life is sacred and how this life is lovely and how this life is pure and how all life points back to the glory and the goodness of God our Father. Amen. I was able to learn this even more 
In 2015, 16, and into 17, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed with dementia. And uh, it was Christmas of 2015. Um, I'm with... <laughs> um, what ends up happening is my grandparents um, end up having to take my grandma to uh, the nursing home because we just can't take care of her anymore. And uh, that, at that time, Rebecca was pregnant with Benjamin. In May of 16, we had a uh, uh, baby shower for Benjamin, and she was able to come, and she was lucid. She knew who we were and uh, loved. Rebecca was excited for the baby, but by August, she was no longer mentally present with us. From May to August, we just saw the life being sucked from her. And so we would go and we would show her Benjamin and she wouldn't respond, she wouldn't talk, she wouldn't make eye contact, she'd just sit there, she'd just be. And even in that place, my grandmother, when a lot of people would say, you know what, her value purpose on this life is over, she can't contribute to the world anymore. All she's going to do is take and require service. We would go and we'd sit and we'd be present to her. We'd be present to her with Benjamin. My mom and her husband, my grandfather, would go daily to sit and be present and to testify that this life still has value. This life still has meaning. And this life still has purpose. And the beautiful thing is, when we were there, is that you could see that the nurses somehow knew this. That living with these people in these conditions and serving them, that they had just grown to just have an awareness that life is sacred and life is beautiful. Because for a lot of these people, their, their family and their children had just stopped showing up. But you could see it in these nurses. You could see for the ways that they took care of their life, for the way that they added value to these people's lives who could not give any more for the ways that they loved and the ways that we cared. And we do that because God has said, this life matters. This life is mine. And it is mine. In Matthew 25, 36 through 40, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says this. He says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. These are all situations where these people cannot provide for themselves, where they might not have purpose or value or meaning, but we add to it, and the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And then the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of my brothers, you also did it to me. Every life from womb to tomb matters to our God. And every life also matters to our world. We just have to wake up to that. Amen? This is what the sanctity of life is about. What I want you to know this morning is that your life matters. That you matter. Not because of who you think you are. Not because of the circumstances that you face day in and day out not because of the opinion of others, but because of a God who has created you, who knows you before you even began, and who has numbered your days. I want you to know that God intends for you to live without accusation, that he intends you to live without shame, 
and that he intends you to live fully free and full of purpose in life. Today is the day that I want you to stop living in bondage of who you think you are or what others think you are, but I want you to hear the voice of the Father say, look up, child. You're my son, and you're my daughter. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we wrap up here. We often think that today the sanctity of life is about others, about fighting for the sanctity of life for those who cannot fight for it themselves, and it is. It absolutely is. But we can't do that until we recognize the sanctity of life in our own lives, and that our own lives are sacred, and that the kingdom of God is breaking forth in our lives here and now, and he's doing it because we're so loved, and he's calling us to go and send that love to those who cannot serve themselves, to those who need us to come in and rescue, for those of us who can come in and say, your life has purpose and meaning and life, and the life that you've experienced right now, it should never have been so, and God never has intended that for you, and he's got a new kingdom, and it's coming, and it's breaking through us, we, the church, as we rise up and live into the people that God has called us to be. But for us to do that, we have to realize the sanctity of our own lives, and that we are a people who are loved and sent. So I want you guys to pray with me this morning this prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we wrap up, I want to pray for you guys the prayer from portions of Psalm 139. Maybe this week you just need to go, you just need to soak yourself in Psalm 139. But I want you to hear the heart of the Father through this Psalm of David and that his kingdom might come and be lived among us. So this is a paraphrase, and it's a prayer that God is praying over us, his children, and that it would break through into our lives today. So from the heart of God to us, from Psalm 139, he's, look up, child. I know your thoughts. I see you when you wake up, and I see you when you go to bed. I know all of your ways. Look up, child. I know the words that are on your lips, and I have searched the entirety of your heart, and I love you. Look up, child. I could see you before you were even conceived, and then when you were, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look up, child, and know that there is no way to leave my presence. No matter how far away you think you might have been from me, know that even there, I am still with you. My plans for you are more wonderful than you can imagine. Look up, child. Let me determine your worth. And let me lead you towards life everlasting. Amen.